there, Green Future Growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app. And let's get growing. Okay, here we go. Ready? Yeah. Welcome to the Organic Gardener Podcast. So today is Sunday, February 10th, 2019. And I have a great guest on the line. He has a podcast that I was on called the Small Town Homestead Podcast. And here to talk to us today is Harold Thornborough. So welcome to the show, Harold. Hi, Jackie. Thanks for having me. It's actually the Modern Homesteading Podcast. My website, Small Town Homestead. But hey, everybody messes that up. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> That's uh, all right. And it's interesting because, like, I never really thought about it. But I guess Mike and I are quite the homesteaders in reality. Like, I mean, like I was telling your audience, we lived here the first six years without running water and just... Um, have a lot more of those skills under my belt. I remember my mom was like, I was telling her something and she's like, what does off grid mean? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You guys are definitely uh, homesteading there. I think I mean, gardening such a huge part of, of homesteading that, you know, I mean, I consider that the, the, the main thing we do here, even though we do a lot of other stuff that goes along with it for sure. Well, go ahead and tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself. You're in Indiana, right? Yep, yeah, East Central Indiana, and it's nice and cold here right now. Uh, well, a little bit about me. I've, I've been married for to my wife, Mary, for what we've been over twenty six years. I better get that right, huh? I uh, got uh, three daughters, uh, all adults now. I got a couple grandkids running around, causing havoc. <laughs> <laughs> messing up my garden, but that's all right. And, uh, you know, I've been a, most of my adult life, I've been a truck driver. I had my own trucking company for a few years and, um, you know, just all that, uh, led to me being gone on the road a lot, eating out in restaurants a lot. And ultimately, uh, you know, kind of led to some bad eating habits, uh, over the years that, uh, got me down a different path. <laughs> sure. Uh, it's tough when you're on the road. I'm a pretty mobile girl and uh, I know how hard it is when you're, it lets you listen to a lot of podcasts, but it definitely makes eating healthy a challenge. Mm-hmm. So, well, tell us about, like, I always start my show asking about your very first gardening experience. Like, were you a kid or was it like after you were an adult and had your kids and had these problems? Like, who were you with and what did you grow well, kind of, I was kind of grew. I grew up on a homestead, really. I mean, we didn't call it a homestead, but we had animals. We had a large garden. You know, we did all the things that I do now. And we had a lot more property uh, when I was a kid growing up, and uh, we did all those things. You know, and and we always had a garden. We always grew up working in the garden, but I never really thought about that being my garden. You know, I can actually tell you the first time. I think it was about third or fourth grade, but I remember the first time I really got the bug for like growing something of my very own and it was in school, believe it or not. And we were just, you know how you do in school, they'll grow a plant. You'll, we had bean plants. Everybody had their little styrofoam cup and we put some soil in it and, and planted a bean cup. And even though we had gardens at home, I remember that vividly growing my own little bean plant in that cup and thinking that was just so awesome. And then you get to take it home and then I replanted it in the yard. And, you know, I thought that was so cool. And it kind of gave me a bug for growing things, even as a, as a young kid, even though, like I said, we worked in the garden all the time. So, uh, yeah, it was something I always loved. Uh, I was always into, I was kind of like that uh, green freak in, in, in school. <laughs> you know, I just loved growing stuff and gardening. I loved animals. I loved working with all that kind of stuff all the way up until my teenage years. And then I kind of got away from it. Like, um, young men do got more into cars and girls and all that kind of stuff, you know, and, and actually stayed away from it for a few years, even though I, in my mind, I just, it, I always assumed um, I would be living that lifestyle even after I went, became a truck driver and started my own business. I, at some point I always figured I'd come back to it. Sure. When I was a kid, I always wanted to be Carolyn Ingalls in the mountains. And that's pretty <laughs> much where I ended up. Like the day I walked into Mike's house, I was like, I never need to leave. I know this is, home. <laughs> this is what I've been dreaming about my whole life. And my house is a little bit bigger than Caroline Ingalls house. Right. Uh, and it's in the mountains. So then is that how you learned how to grow organically like from your parents or like was it later or like how did that kind of come about you know it was it it never well it never it never seemed important to me then i mean even though i i guess in my mind i i i thought you know i guess i thought about sustainable practices even back then but my dad didn't really practice those things like we would dump you know, any chemical fertilizer on our, on, you know, our lawns, on our gardens, whatever he would, you know, even when it dealt with, dealt with the animals, you know, we would 
pump them full of antibiotics or whatever we had to do to keep them alive. Cause you know, it was our food and, and it was just a different mindset. Um, then, you know, you just wanted to have the most productive garden you could have. We dump pesticides and herbicides down like crazy just to, so, you know, it just give us our best garden and uh, what we thought would be our best garden. So I guess, no, I didn't really think about it that much then, even though in my mind, I guess I knew that, that doesn't seem right. You know, it isn't the old ways. It isn't the, the, the ways that, you, sh- you know, people have always done it. That's always worked. But in, in that time period, we're talking, you know, late 70s, 80s, man, everybody was doing it. You know, it was just the thing that people did to uh, to have a great garden. You just, you, just, you know, I don't know if miracle Grow was a thing then or if I came on the scene later, but it was like that. You just dump all kinds of liquid fertilizers and all kinds of uh, pesticides on everything. And I guess I never really thought a lot about it. But uh, what brought me around to it uh, this time was when. Um, I got cancer. Uh, I didn't mention that earlier, but, uh, because of all my bad decisions being on the road, uh, eating out two, three times a day, every day for years, I did that. And I ended up with uh, stage three colon cancer at 39 years old. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, on my 40th birthday, I was doing a chemo treatment and that was, a, that was quite the wake up call. And, uh, you know, it's been a few years ago, I was back in 2012, uh, when I had that. So things are really good now, but, uh, it just, uh, opened up my eyes. Even the doctors said, you know, that, well, you can't eat like that. You know, that stuff is just horrible for you. I'm eating all this stuff. That's just, you know, just all the garbage food, all the really highly processed, uh, high preservatives, you know, just, I, I think our bodies are fairly resilient. We can handle quite a bit of that stuff, you know, but you can't handle it like I was putting it in and it, um, it's just too much. And uh, it really opened up my eyes to the importance of eating healthy, eating nutritious, you know, organic grown food. Uh, and that's expensive for one thing. You know, right. it was it was quite, quite a eye opener to think, well, I got to start eating right. Well, here I've been off of work for a couple months with chemo and surgery and all the stuff I was going through. So the budget was pretty tight. You know, uh, we pretty much ate up most of our savings. I'm going to the grocery store looking at organic food going, yeah, we can't afford that. So what are you supposed to do? Well, you grow your own. Well, from a lot of people that probably wouldn't be a big, big deal, except for that I live in town on a 10th of an acre <laughs> and uh, we don't have a lot of space. So, uh, I was kind of discouraged, but I thought, well, I wonder if we could grow a lot of stuff here, you know, and uh, I remember running across a video and it was just like this eye opening video on YouTube. I'm sitting around the house. I'm not doing a lot of anything except for just researching and watching TV and whatnot, just until I get back to work. And I came across a YouTube video called homegrown revolution. It was from the Dervais family out in Southern California and uh, they were on a 10th of an acre and they were growing like six or 7,000 pounds of food in their backyard, just solid raised beds and just all kinds of stuff going on. And it's a really inspiring video. If anybody wants to go on YouTube and watch that, I thought it was really good. And it just, it just, like I said, it inspired me. And I was like, I could do that in my backyard. So I just started building raised beds and going crazy with it. <laughs> well, cool. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. That's a lot of food to come off of a 10th of an acre because yeah, now- Mike has like his mini farm. That's a third of an acre. And we're, I mean, he's really getting the hang of it. And like, I say like last year, I think he grew like 10 times as much food as ever before mm-hmm. the year before that, like four times as much, but wow, that's a lot of food to get off of a 10th of yeah. an acre. They're, they're in Southern California. So you gotta you know, understand their, their growing season is a little longer than ours, but uh, you know, they pretty much grow year round, I think. So of course they can produce a lot more food, but it's still, I mean, I took a lot of those practices and started them here and uh, I've never really weighed what kind of food we, we generate here. But we generate a lot, and it didn't even stop there. I've added, and we can talk about that here in a little bit too, some other uh, practices I've kind of um, uh, took on that increased the amount of food we were growing here. But that was the beginning of it for me, and it was just like a way to to grow really good, healthy food uh, in an inexpensive way. Like I even built my first raised beds out of like scrap wood I had laying around and stuff, old fence and things like that. I was just, you know, doing whatever I could do to, uh, you know, I had a friend that had an excavating business. I'm getting soil from him that he's got piled up in his yard and bringing it over here and making, you know, filling up my raised beds and, and doing it as cheap as I could, you know, and, uh, it worked out, you know, we, we still grow a lot of food and, and even in his first couple of years, I mean, really, 
I started out with like just two raised beds and then I just kept building and building and building. And now my whole yard is just filled with raised beds. And I saw and that areas. the pictures yeah. on your blog that your backyard is almost all raised beds. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised like my brother. And when I go to New York to see my mom, I'm like, mom, you need some raised beds because she doesn't really grow much for vegetables. She grows a ton of herbs and lots of flowers and things. But I mean, she has pretty good access to food, but I know like she's such a gourmet cook. She would love homegrown tomatoes and strawberries and just a few th- I guess she usually grows a tomato plant, but like lettuces and just zucchinis and things. That, mm-hmm. And if she, and, and then my brother like asked me, he's like, what's so great about raised beds? And I was just like, oh my goodness. So do you want to tell listeners like some of the secrets that you've learned or things that are working? You were saying th- some things that you're doing to be more productive. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll go back to the raised beds uh, first. You know, a lot of people think you have to build raised beds. I, I didn't have to, but I, I guess a concern I had at the time was that I, we'd always had dogs. We had a, like three little dogs and they just, our backyard was just, you know, their bathroom. <laughs> so we had a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of issues there. And I was like, I was kind of afraid to just dig up the soil, till the soil and plant right in that. I thought, well, you know, it may not be all that healthy just because of all the dog manure over the years that's been on that you know, on that yard. So that's why I built raised beds because I wanted a healthy soil to plant in. So I just want to throw that out there. It's not something people have to do. I mean, I, you know, growing up, we never had raised beds. Everything went right directly in the ground. And I have some areas around my yard where it is directly in the ground. Uh, yeah, but we do you, too. Yeah, initially that was a thing that I wanted to do. In the ground. But I just yeah. feel like raised beds make it so much easier and more convenient and more like fun. Like it just doesn't seem like work. Yeah, it's just no so doubt. There's a lot of benefits for raised beds. Besides yeah. the fact that you know, your roots grow deeper and just, mm-hmm. um, you can fit more things closer together, I think in there. Well, it can take you years to really amend the ground yeah, soil, but you can start right off with, with the best of soil in a raised bed. You can just, you know, put it in there right off the bat and have great soil that might, like I said, might take you years to, to, uh, to create in your, in, right in the ground. Uh, but that was, you know, like I said, that was the beginning of it for us. But as far as really increasing, of course, I kept just adding more and more space, uh, places where I was growing things, kept expanding that garden. Of course, we brought in some animals. I brought in rabbits and quail and things like that, that, you know, really increased the production, even with the manure, uh, for our, for our gardens. But when, when things really kind of went to the next level for me, it was when I was introduced to permaculture. I had never heard the term. Uh, it was something that was really new to me, but it I hadn't just, heard it before my podcast either. Yeah, it changed everything for me. Uh, once I, you know, I read a few books and, and, you know, I'd actually listened to a few podcasts and I'd heard a lot about it and I started implementing some of those things on my property and, um, it really just, it, it increased our production so much and gave us such a, a healthier garden. Just, uh, with everything we were doing, I was able to, uh, to grow my own fertilizers and have my own fertilizers. Like for instance, comfrey is something that we've brought a lot of in on the property, a, a Russian a variety of, of comfrey that we use to fertilize the beds with. And, um, you know, we do like chop and drop. So it's one of the things and, and just planting that around a tree will really help a tree out and make it more productive. And, and just things like that. We just started doing all these practices, uh, building herb gardens and, 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 you know, a lot of the, what's called there's there's a book, um, by David Holmgren, uh, on, uh, permaculture. And, uh, he talks about the 12 permaculture design principles. Well, I started implementing a lot of those design principles on my property, even on a 10th of an acre. And, and a lot of people just think you have to have this big giant place. And I was able to do so much right here with the design, you know, you just got to be real careful not to shade out parts of your garden and where you're going to add this and plant this next to this to benefit one another. And then you get this symbiotic relationship going on within your, within your garden, within your entire homestead, really, uh, that everything's benefiting everything and getting the, uh, the most from one another, uh, from each thing. And even, even things like your, your house and your, your garages and, and, and things and fences and things like that are part of that, are part of that ecosystem that are working to, uh, increase the production of your, uh, of, of everything you're doing. So I started implementing a lot of those things and, and it made a world of difference. And uh, to be honest, it made it a lot more fun too. <laughs> I mean, it really, it just, uh, I just enjoy it so much seeing things work together. Um, Working with nature instead of against it, you know, working with insects uh, instead of against the insects all the time, working with the weeds instead of against the weeds. For instance, purslane is something that 
we have a lot of here. It grows wild like crazy and it'll get in your garden beds and it'll just kind of fill up all your garden beds. Well, most people just yank that out and it's a weed, but it's a very edible weed. As a matter of fact, it's very good. It's probably my favorite weed to eat. I mean, I put it in salads, I put it in soups and so do you let it take over a bed? Well, what I find, found out was it grows pretty low. Well, when it would grow in a bed uh, with something that was taller than it, I would just kind of let it grow and it would become like a ground cover in that bed and and really help retain moisture and shade that ground. It, it would keep other weeds from coming in or taking over. And I would have this entire lower level of purslane and then I would have taller stuff, say peppers, growing above it. And it wouldn't hurt it. It would work together, benefiting one another. And it was just things like that. You know, I, instead of fighting against nature, I just kind of uh, uh, let it come in, controlled it, let it go where I wanted it to go, you know, get rid of it where you don't want it, but using it nonetheless to benefit your property, benefit your garden, and just work together with it. And it was just such a benefit to, to have that kind of thinking about your property. Awesome. Matthew Zeller talked about that on my show, Growing Purslane, because we mm -hmm. talked about edible weeds. Uh, so, do you want to tell us about something that grew well this year? Oh, I had quite a few things that grew well, but something that grows well every year, and it seemed like it even did better this last year, was... Uh, was cucumbers. Oh, we just had so many cucumbers. It was crazy. Uh, and we love them, you know. Uh, I, you kind of run out of ideas for them after a while because you get so many. And I don't plant a lot of them. I just plant a few plants and we get so many cucumbers and, and we make a lot of pickles, a lot of relish, uh, you know, use them on salads, uh, make a few other, you know, dishes here and there, fermenting them and things like that. But wow, we had so many and they grow so, so well. And we always have good luck with those, but something that I like and that the grandkids really like that grew really good with strawberries this last year. We, I kind of uh, tripled the uh, area I was growing strawberries in. And, uh, boy, they just did so, so good. And, uh, so yeah, that was something that yeah, when you ask, uh, like my grandkids, what they like the most, it's definitely the berries and the strawberries did the best out of all of them. Do you have any tips for being successful with strawberries? Cause that's one of the things I want to plant. I don't know how much I'm going to get done this summer, but maybe next summer, this summer I'm going to focus on raspberries and blueberries. Yeah, I, I was, I kept the, you know, where I planted them, I made sure the soil was, was good and loose and, uh, uh, well fertilized before I ever planted them. And, uh, and also each year what I've done to kind of make them better is they'll spread. I mean, you put them in a patch and they'll kind of thicken out and they'll really spread out there. They have these runners that go out and they, they spread out, but you'll also see a lot of dead areas like old stuff will die off. And I get that out of there. Uh, I thin them out enough to where they get a little bit of airflow. They get a little more room to spread and, um, just kind of get rid of the old to make room for the new. And they just seem to get more and more abundant and more productive every year when I do that. But that's about all I've really done with them. Uh, other than just add a little bit of comfrey and a little bit of rabbit manure every year to the, uh, to the area, uh, in the fall, uh, they seem to do really, really good just doing that. Cool. And that probably helps because people say that they kind of get old after four or five mm -hmm. years. And so if you're yeah. just getting rid of that dead stuff every year yep. and you're constantly having new babies, like kind of growing up a new, new, right. excellent. I like those yeah. tips. How about, is there something you're excited to try different next year or something new you want to do? Well, I started something this last year that I really want to expand on this, this year coming up in, in the spring and that's aquaponics. I, I built an aquaponics tank last year out of an IBC tank and, uh, it worked really good. I didn't get a chance to experiment with it a long time. So I really didn't build it till like summertime and it was doing really, really well. And I'm looking into expanding that and doing more with that, maybe even working it in conjunction with a couple of wicking beds. I've never really done anything with wicking beds. And I like to build a couple of wicking beds beside it and have what it flow through that beds? as well. Uh, wicking beds will have the water. You'll, you'll, um, you'll have a layer at the bottom that water, uh, you'll have like a rock and, and like lava rock or, or some other medium in the bottom. And then you'll have a, and water will flow through that. And then you'll have, uh, a layer that separates it from the soil above it. Like uh, a lot of people use landscape fabric or you can actually use other things like peat moss or things like that to separate it. And then you have the soil. Well, the soil, it'll actually, the water will wick up into the soil from underneath and you have this constant flow of water. It, it don't have to be flowing water. It can be just still water and you can fill it up by hand and just have it fill up occasionally. But that water will wick up into the soil. So it's constantly watering the soil and you don't ever have to water it. And 
yeah, I know I've heard you talk about how you have some trouble remembering to water things sometimes. <laughs> so a wicking bed might benefit you greatly. <laughs> you know, I try to do something like that. I like saw these like little herb things that, um, uh-huh. like, I don't know, some video and it was like, you took a glass jar and you took like an old applesauce container and put the dirt in there and put a hole mm-hmm. or put the hole through the bottom with a. Now, granted, I used yarn and not specific yeah. wicking cardboard like they claim, but it didn't work worth nothing. <laughs> yeah, well, I've seen some. Yeah, that is a wicking bed. That's a very small version of one. I yeah. think in the bigger, you would probably get the the uh, more stable and better. It would probably work. Um, but I've seen some really. Uh, really well designed ones that, that worked really well, and um, and working you know using them in, in conjunction with the aquaponics, I could have a flowing water of, of really fertile water too. So I imagine it would pull yeah. up those those nutrients as well from from the fish. Um, so that's something I, I think I'd like to get into this next year a little bit more, expand my knowledge in that. I, I've seen the potential production of a very small area using aquaponics, and it kind of amazed me last year. So I'm really looking to do more with that. Excellent. Well, uh, I know my listeners are pretty interested in aquaponics because um, I've had a few guests on and those episodes have been downloaded quite a Mm -hmm. bit. So, um, yeah, something to learn more about. And I like met this guy in Paris, actually, that had like this aquaponics setup. And it was funny because he was actually working for like a guy in Wyoming. Um, and doctor, his name was Dr. Nate story. And he's definitely like his page has been viewed. I think he's like in the top five pages that have been viewed on according to Google analytics or something. So, um, yeah, lots of cool things going on in the aquaponics world. Like I always, when I think of aquaponics, I always like vision, like us going into grocery stores and people like, you're not going to have produce people anymore. Like putting the produce out, they're going to be like, here, can I harvest this for you? (laughs) Here, let me cut your lettuce today. And like the aquaponics tanks are there and the kids are like watching them and the fish are flowing. Like I totally envision grocery stores of the future that way. Yeah. Hopefully uh, get away from the pesticides and herbicides and go that route. That'd be much better, wouldn't it? And a lot more local. Yeah. Yeah. And I I just like everything about it. I mean, it, it just seems like such a great way to grow things and 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 it's fun i mean it's like a little science project it's a lot of fun i enjoy it cool i have a my problem is i really struggle with keeping things in cages fish and tanks chickens and mm-hmm. like, yeah i really struggle with that so i don't know if it would work for me but um but yeah for sure it's a great uh and who knows uh, what the future will bring and how people will like, who knows, maybe my fish can like swim all the way to Indiana and back someday or some <laughs> aquaponic thing. You never know. Uh, tell us about something that didn't go the way you thought it was going to or didn't work so well this season. Oh, well, I'll tell you, I didn't have a great grape <laughs> harvest this year. Usually I love my grapes and I'll make a lot of jellies and jams and things like that. And, really? and, but the, the issue was, was insects. We got, we got attacked by the uh, Japanese beetles really bad, uh, this last year. And I'd never had an issue with them and they just came in swarms, uh, this last year and just, just just destroyed my grapevines like never before. And, uh, and that was, it was an eye opener and I tried a few different things and I know kind of what I would do now if that, that happened, but, what would you do um, now? well, there's definitely some, some treatments. Uh, I know what I wouldn't do for sure. Uh, and that's try traps. Uh, and the reason is because they actually draw them in on a small property. I think if you have a very large property, the traps actually have a scent in them that actually will draw them onto your property and then draw them into the, the bags yeah, right. to catch them. And, uh, boy, you don't want to use those on a, on a small property because you're just drawing them and you, you can't get it far enough away from your garden to, uh, to, yeah, for, for them not to, you know, be on the garden itself. And I brought those in when I first had a sign of them, I brought those in and I think it just increased you know, like a hundredfold the amount I had because <laughs> they just come drawn in from everywhere. And I had those bags were full. The traps were full. Yeah. But you can't use those on a small property. I think if you had a large property, you could put them in the, you know, the, the back 40 somewhere where far, far away from your garden, it might work. But for me, that was definitely a, a big mistake I made. And, you know, I, I, I don't like using even the things that are considered organic yeah. uh, pesticides. I just don't feel, uh, you know, what, what, um, when, when, when people say organic pesticides, they're, a lot of times they're talking about like seven dust or something. I just don't, I don't even feel comfortable with that kind of stuff. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, weird about that, I guess. I want to use the most natural things I can use. And, um, so I try to look for really natural remedies, even for pest control. 
I saw this thing in, uh, I was looking through these old organic gardening magazines and when I was working on the book and, um, there was one thing about to get rid of one way to reduce the number of Japanese beetles you have in your yard, in your garden was to like, make sure your yard wasn't getting too wet, that the grubs mm. from the Japanese beetles grow in the yard. Um, and so if you yeah. didn't have it, like if your yard wasn't moist, that would help keep them out of your garden. Sure. And, and I think the beneficial nematodes that you can spray on your lawn and stuff will eat the grubs and destroy the, the larvae. Okay. And uh, that's one thing I've, uh, I've seen folks do. I don't know, like, again, on a small property, if they're in my property and they're all my neighbor's properties too, unless you were spraying your neighbor's properties, I don't know that it would make the, it, there's a lot of uh, disadvantages to being on a real small property because it, even if your neighbors have things going on, it, it affects you. So you have to, you know, kind of think more locally on how to just keep them off the plants, really. So I was just thinking about that this morning. Like when I go to visit my mom, it just drives me crazy. These people with their little yellow flags on their lawn that says, don't let your wa- dog walk on the lawn for 24 hours out by the sidewalk because we just sprayed. And like, yeah. it's like one week, you know, you'll look up the street and there's like, you know, these little yellow flags on like five mm. out of 10 properties on the block. And I'm just, I'm just amazed. Like, and I was like, you guys should all get these little green flags that say, it's okay to walk here. <laughs> yeah, uh, there you go. But just, it just amazes me. But yeah, when you live in a city in a small neighborhood, you know, who wants those pesticides even around? And especially yeah. when you walk your dog every day. Yeah, so, right. Before we get to the root of things, we're going to thank our sponsors and affiliate links. My first sponsor, Robin Kelson from the Good Seed Company. Welcome, Robin. Yay! Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and very happy to be your sponsor. We have a large variety of locally adapted, open-pollinated, non-GMO vegetable, flower, and herb seeds. And we hope you'll enjoy visiting our website, goodseedco.net or goodseedmontana, and seeing the resources that we offer for becoming a better gardener, a better seed saver, and a member of building resiliency around food in your community. Have you heard the interview I did with Don Rosenberg, who wrote the book, No Green Thumb Required? Organic Family Gardening Made Easy. This is one of the my favorite books that I've gotten. He's a master gardener with over 20 years of experience and owner and founder and owner of Instant Organic Garden, which is a business that installs raised bed gardens for families. Um, but what I love about this book so much is it's got great um, things to do with kids. It's got like activities to do with kids all along every page. You know, he talks about, you know, he totally understands gardening when you're working full time. You know, he's got this instant approach to how to build the beds, how to maintain them, how to grow 80% of your food using only 10% of the space. So you can get this book by going to the organicgardenerpodcast.com and clicking on our recommended resources And that will take you to Amazon and you could support the Organic Gardener podcast while getting yourself a great read. And now let's get to the root of things. Well, Harold, this is where we get to the part of my show called like getting to the root of things. So do you have like a least favorite activity that you have to kind of force yourself to do in the garden? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it has to do with bugs. I, I, you know, dealing with the bugs, especially we had a lot of squash bugs, you know, things like that. And you're just the best way to deal with those just to get out there and just manually pick them things off and crush them or throw them in some water or soapy water or something like that. You know, you spray your plants down, but they still, you know, there's stuff coming around and, and just dealing with that. You know, it's just part of organic gardening. You know, it's what you have to do. You have to get out there and deal with those things. And it's not difficult. It's just time consuming. And it's probably the thing I, I don't enjoy the most, you know, but it's just part of it. If you're not going to use pesticides, um, you know, you're going to have to get out there and do the, the manual work and it's part of it. And it's probably the part I enjoy the least. So on the flip side, what's your favorite activity to do in the garden? Well, I love to harvest and eat. <laughs> I do. I really enjoy all of it. I love planting. I mean, I just right in the early spring, I mean, you, you know, when I hear in a couple months, we're going to be 
you know, popping things in the ground. I love that. I mean, it's just such, I love that time of the year, but there's really nothing greater than getting out there and just seeing what's ready to be picked, you know, and you get out there and popping the tomatoes off and picking a big old bag of green beans and, you know, popping up some beets and, and coming in and start whipping up some dishes. And, and that's really my favorite part is just, you know, picking it and eating it. So what's your favorite recipe you like to cook from the garden then? Oh, well, there's so many things that we love, but, uh, as far as like the whole family, we love salsa. You know, we just, we love to eat salsa on everything. We, we'll, you know, put it on our eggs. We'll, put it, you know, we make salsa dishes all the time. So, you know, we, we love salsa. So we make a lot of that. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff we eat from the garden for sure. I'm going to have to check out your blog and see if there's a recipe for salsa, homemade salsa on there because I love salsa too. And <laughs> I have not found a recipe that I can make successfully. You know, ours is like super, super simple. We don't really get fancy with it at all. I just love a basic salsa. You know, I don't even like a real hot salsa, so I'll put a little bit of jalapeno in there. But it's just basically, I don't want to give you the amounts, but it's just tomato, onion, cilantro, Let's see what else I put in there. We got, of course, we got our. Uh, I'll put banana peppers in it, and a jalapeno, and garlic, and salt, and that's pretty much it. All we put in it, and just in certain amounts. And I just like a basic salsa, you know, kind of chunky. That's how I like it. I wonder if that's what's been missing for mine is banana peppers, because I always use like the. Um you know, like a sweet bell pepper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can put those in there. Sometimes I'll put those in there, but I like banana peppers a little bit better, yeah. Hmm. There you go, Harold. I think you solved my problem. <laughs> so what's the best gardening advice you've ever received? Well, oh, you know, I can't think of, you know, probably where I heard it, but, you know, growing up, we it was kind of like when we had gardens, it was like you go out and you plant once and you harvest once and that was your year supply. Right. And once I had my eyes open to secession planting, uh, it kind of changed everything for me. You know, it's like, it doesn't have to be planted once and harvested once. You can just plant and plant and plant throughout the seasons and keep that stuff going. And as soon as you're picking something, you're planting something else. And it's how you can take a really small property and make it super productive and uh you know just have several always planting something and always picking something constantly throughout the year and um and i think that has been the uh the best advice and like i said i don't even know where i heard it specifically it's just something i've kind of picked up over time people talk about it and it's made the biggest difference on how much food we're able to produce do you have any like concrete like steps like do like one two three or any like because that's a, I don't and maybe it's because where we are it's so cold and a lot of things like they you, like mm. you're lucky if you get them in a season you know because of our frost dates but like not all my listeners are in Montana for one thing but like what's been successful for you because I think a lot of people. Like, that's one of our big challenges to get that succession planning down. Yeah, and there's a lot of things that will take the whole season to grow. I mean, like tomatoes and peppers, you know, those won't – those stay where they're at the whole season, and we pick on them, you know, throughout the whole year uh, or through the whole seasons. But, you know, there's things like radishes that you, you're going to be done <laughs> with in, like, 30 days. Yeah, you're yeah. going to be done in, like, 30 days. I mean, what are you going to do? You gonna, you're gonna, Of course, you're going to get those things out there and get something else planted in. And I, and I like to go with maybe some beets or, or something like that or just lettuce in that same spot, something. And since you've – it's, you have to a lot of times think about, okay, was the, was the plant that you pulled out of there something that wasn't real, uh, uh, that didn't require a lot of resources, say something like lettuce, uh, that doesn't require a lot of resources from the soil. Well, now I can put something in there that maybe does take a little bit more of the soil resources and more, a little more nutrient from the soil. So, you know, if you planted something over and over and over in the same spot that was really, uh, required a lot of nutrients from that soil. Uh, after a while you're going to start depleting that soil and it's not going to grow as well, but there's a lot of things that just doesn't require. So you kind of alternate those things back and forth, make sure you put down some amendments in between and it really helps keep those things going. But yeah, things that are quick, uh, like lettuce, like radishes, um, uh, beets, um, just things like that. A lot of leafy stuff, spinach, things like that. Uh, you know, you'll get those things in and you might even get like with lettuce. I use the same bed a lot of times over and over and over and we'll just keep planting and keep planting. And I'll have like a couple rows at a time and I might step it. I'll have like two rows here. And then two weeks later, I'll start another two rows. And then two weeks later, another two rows. And then by then I'm picking those first two rows and then I'm replanting those two rows, you know, and it's kind of just got this rotation going in that bed over and over and over. Okay. 
But back up a sec. Because, see, this is where I always struggle. So, like, I get down there and I have my packet of seeds. And I'm like, all right, I'm only going to plant two rows. But then I have the bed ready and I end up just putting them all in anyway. Like, do you have any secrets for that? Like, do you get, like, I'm actually like, at the point where I'm like, I'm going to separate my seeds and count out, like, 25 seeds that I'm only planting today. Like, in the house so I don't even take them down there with me. Like, do you, like, or is it just natural for you? Well, I, I just like to have stuff for salad every week. And I know if I plant them all now, I'm going to have it all at once and I better not do it, you know, so oh, yeah. I better other, just wait. Sorry. The other thing I was going to ask you was like, I was reading your post about, um, that black seeded Simpson wasn't your favorite. Like that's my favorite lettuce. So I'm curious, it, like what is your favorite lettuce and like what? It grows you- the best. Uh, it's the one that I think actually grows the best. I mean, it's so fast and it's just, it's a thinner leaf lettuce. It's, you know, it, it's okay. I like it. And, and, but, uh, you know, I'm, I really like romaine lettuce probably is my favorite, but it takes a lot longer to grow. It's a lot bigger. You know, it's uh it's a good lettuce. There's some bib lettuces I like as well. I mean, I, I can't even think of it, what they are now. I remember, I know the post you're talking about and I've got them all laid out there, but I can't remember the varieties exactly. But yeah, That's Black okay. Seed of Simpsons yeah. one I grow, but it's, it's not my f- absolute favorite, but it's one I eat a lot just because it grows so well and so easy. Uh, my struggle with romaine is like, it is undoubtedly, if I pick it, when it comes inside, there's going to be earwigs, no matter how much mm. I try to clean it out there. And so I just grosses me out. I hate those things, which I did read something about how good they are and they eat something that I like even less. Yeah. Beetle or something. So they're really actually pretty good, but, uh, we don't have a problem here. Yeah. I just not had that issue here. Um, but, uh, I tell you something, uh, like in the winter time, I grow a lot of it, but I don't let it go full size. We, you know, I eat it in more of a, a microgreen uh, form. You know, it gets about four inches tall, and I'll eat it at that point and pick it. And it's really tender and really good. And you could do that in your garden as well. I just let it usually go a little bit bigger and get it, you know, almost full size before I pick it out of the garden. But in the wintertime, like I've got it growing right now in my greenhouse, and it's about four or five inches tall, and I'll be harvesting it at that size and eating it, and it's really, really good. And you really don't have the a lot of the problems with it when it's young. One of my biggest issues with it is, is getting it when you let it go full size is just letting it, um, picking it at just the right time before it bolts, because it seems like it'll get yeah. to a certain size. You're getting ready to pick it. And the next day you go out there and it's like, you know, it's bolting like crazy. And it's like, Oh man, I messed up. Yeah, for sure. I have that problem too. And I have the other one. I have that problem with is spinach in a big way. Like I'm mm-hmm. ready to like yeah. give up on spinach, but Mike was like, we're not giving up on spinach. <laughs> Well, and I tell you, that's where permaculture, I feel like, has really benefited me because I learned a lot about uh, design. And and where I grow a lot of lettuce and spinach is in a cooler part of my yard. And you might ask, well, how do you get a cooler part of your yard that's going to grow stuff? And it's with you know uh, the right kind of shade. I actually have a corner of my yard. Uh, my entire backyard really does get full sun, but I have this mulberry tree uh, that will actually block in one corner of my yard the evening, you know, afternoon and uh, evening sun. And and then my garage is kind of where it block the early morning sun. So there's this one spot that gets maybe four hours of sunlight right in the middle of the day. And I've found this spot to be the perfect spot to grow things like spinach and, and lettuce because it, it doesn't bolt as quickly because it's just in that shadier spot. And the yard's just so much cooler right there all the time. But yet it gets just the right amount of sunlight to where it'll grow. And it gets a little bit of splotchy sunlight here and there through the tree. So it ain't completely shaded, but it keeps it a lot cooler. That part of my yard is so much cooler than the rest of my yard. So basically I've you know designed it in a way to where it, it's just a great place for growing cooler uh, weather crops even right in the middle of summer. So it's just been a real benefit doing that. That's awesome. I love everything you said. There are so many golden seeds about um, finding the right microclimate on your own mm-hmm. property. Yep. You know, that's a huge thing. And I feel like I was writing uh, this thing about how, like, I feel like Mike and I can tell you, like, anywhere because uh, we've been here for so long, like, where the sun's going to be, at, like, you know, in July in the afternoon. And, like, where's it going to be in August in the afternoon? Mm-hmm. And, like, we can tell which trees. Um, but I don't think about that enough in planning. Certainly, like, last summer I made a huge mistake planting these one seeds i don't know what i was thinking and then i was they never they never ever get like after i was watching them for a few days i'm like they never get the sun once during yeah the, during the afternoon in the middle of august so that would have been a good place to put lettuce yeah yeah probably I, had, like, pulled, I just all i was thinking was like it was like full of oregano it was like this really pretty bed that mike had made me full of like 
just beautiful flowers and I had mm. let the oregano overgrow it and I was like, I'm pulling this oregano and I pulled the oregano out and then I put these other flowers in and then I realized, what am I doing? I was like, it's <laughs> not getting any sun. Those flowers probably aren't going to grow. And now I went and pulled out all the oregano the bees would want to eat. Not that it like won't come right back next year. I mean, right, I have oregano right. everywhere, yeah, um, which is fine. So always a learning lesson. And, it's um, something you really got to take into consideration. I mean, a lot of folks just, I mean, I made the mistakes too, especially in the early years of gardening, you know, where you put the tomatoes in a spot where it's not getting all day sun and you have the lettuce out in the middle of the sun all day. And it, it, those two, you know, you, you had it backwards, you know, and you have to, you really have to think about what you're doing and what something requires and, and where you're going to put it and, and really kind of figure out your property. And, and you know, it's, I think it's even more important on a property like the size of mine because you really you're so limited on space. You have to be really careful about where you're putting things. And and there's so much of my yard that is shaded in the morning, shaded in the evening. I have a lot of it that has full sun, but I just really have to consider where I'm putting things to get the utmost out of it uh, every year. Excellent. Well, I think these are great things for listeners to think about right now. So. Harold, what's your favorite tool? Like, if you had to move and could only take one tool with you, what could you not live without? Well, I I wish I could say it was something cool like a hori hori knife or a, a, a garden trowel or something like that. But I get a sore back from working in the garden, so I'd have to take my wheelbarrow with me probably. I like to haul stuff around in that because I don't like carrying stuff all the time. <laughs> That's what I said. When I first came up with this question, I was like, oh, a shovel hands down. But then I was like, wait a minute. No way. It's the wheelbarrow. Especially like yeah. I think our wheelbarrow had a flat tire for a really long time. And I was really yeah. frustrated when I could finally afford to buy a new one. And we got one with like a flat free tire this time. <laughs> I was like, that's for sure. It. And I, like our load hog that used to um, attach to the back of the lawnmower. I felt like that thing could move everything. Unfortunately, yeah. the lawnmower doesn't work. So it doesn't I've, do as much. But yeah. Yeah. I've even set up my property for a wheelbarrow kind of like I got these trails uh, go around all, I got some pathways and trails that go right along all my garden beds. So even when I'm harvesting, I'll just take the wheelbarrow and kind of go around from bed to bed to bed and pick everything, kind of pile it in the wheelbarrow. And then I'll just kind of run the whole thing up to my back door of my house. And then I can just walk out, you know, carry it in the kitchen from there. So, I mean, even when everything I'm doing and when I'm weeding and all that, the wheelbarrow just comes in so handy for, you know, just because of the layout of the property and how I've designed it for the wheelbarrow. It just seems to work really, really well yeah i want like a weeding cart or something like yeah. i haven't quite figured out my weeding thing yet because like if i'm like in the middle of a weeding project i'm gonna like weed a bed for like three days like i want something that can just like stay there till i'm done that holds like a whole bunch of weeds that <laughs> i can like move around and then i don't know i, haven't I go straight to the compost bin with those <laughs> i just build it up and head to the compost bin toss them in there <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why. I just I haven't quite figured that out yet. Uh, anyway, what's your favorite internet resource? Where do you like to surf on the web? Well, I tell you, I spend I probably spend the most time in our. We have a pretty big Facebook group for this for my podcast. Uh, it's called the Homestead Front Porch. There's just so many knowledgeable people in there, and uh, I hang out there a lot and I learn. You know, I, it's my podcast, and I feel like you know those folks are there trying to learn off my podcast. But the truth is. I learn way more from them than I've ever taught them, and I hang out in there a ton, just just learning stuff. Cool. Now, is that the s- small town homestead Facebook group or the? It's called the Homestead Front. Podcasting? It's called the Homestead Front Porch, but it's the Facebook group for the Modern Homesteading Podcast. Yeah. Front porch, Homestead Front Porch. Cool. Yeah, you're in there, Jackie. <laughs> I know, but I forget names and look. I get right. the name of your podcast you. mixed up at the very beginning of the show. Which is well, I yeah, I wanted you know I really originally and what's funny about that is I wanted you know of course I wanted you know the modern homesteading you know label even on my on my website, but it was already taken, so I kind of had to get a different name for my website. And then, but I thought, oh, it's available for my podcast though, so I'll take that for my podcast. <laughs> branding right when yeah, i started out tough. like i called it mike's green garden and actually there's still a mike's green mm-hmm. garden website where i post right. everything before i put it on my site just because it's easier to edit over on wordpress plus i'm always worried like if anything happened and i couldn't afford to pay for my website i don't want to have to like copy and move everything 
whereas WordPress is free, so I feel like it's always it's kind of my backup. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, keeping everything straight. Like I, it made sense to me that I was the Organic Gardener podcast, but it would be on Mike's site because he's the gardener. <laughs> but right away, my friends in over in Paradiseville were like, "Nope, you need to nail your branding." Yeah. How about a favorite? Years ago, it messed me up too. A favorite reading material, like a book or a magazine or anything. Well, I tell you, I I mentioned probably my favorite book uh, that's helped me the most, and that was uh, um, uh, David Holmgren's uh, Permaculture. It's called Permaculture Principles and Pathways Beyond Sustainability, and he talks about the the 12 permaculture design principles in that book. It's just been such a useful book, but I, I like all the books that, you know, kind of around uh, permaculture. Uh, of course, Bill Mollison's Introduction to Permaculture is really good. There's a whole bunch. There's some really, really good permaculture books out there, and that's just the things that's, those are the things that's made the biggest impact on me and kept me the most inspired and and um, just taught me the most in the recent years so it's i if i was going to tell anybody hey you know i guess if it was a new gardener i'd probably send them to um something super super basic like mel bartholomew's book uh, square foot gardening but then if you want to take things to the next level i would definitely take going down the permaculture path and start reading books in that area cool i'm going to check that one out with the 12 permaculture design principles i like that idea uh so here's my final wait was there anything we were going to talk about and we were going to come back to that i forgot i don't think so i think we're covering it all okay so here's the final question it's kind of a doozy (laughs) harold if there's one change you would like to see to create a greener world what would it be for example is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action like what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment either locally nationally or on a global scale well, it, locally, nationally, and, and globally, I, I just think that the, uh, the the pesticide and herbicide issue is a big issue. I think we're we're drowning our food in garbage, and we're consuming it. And I think it's it causing environmental issues. It's definitely causing health issues. Um, it's just bad in nearly every way. But and folks think we have to do that to feed the world, and at the same time, we are growing green lawns everywhere. Uh, here I have a 10th of an acre in my backyard. I'm growing just tons of food. And I think to myself, if we all did that, we don't need these other ways of growing food where we have to drown them in herbicides and pesticides and making it, you know, virtually unhealthy. We're killing the soil first and then there's no nutrients to really no natural nutrients rather to be taken up by these plants. So the, 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 the food itself becomes nutrient deficient and, you know, just beside the fact that it's, it's coated in, in garbage, uh, poison, um, and we're consuming it and we, we see it, we're seeing an increase in, in, in cancer and all kinds of other medical issues because of it. Um, we're definitely seeing environmental impact because of it in, in a huge scale. Uh, and I just think if we could get our minds wrapped around the fact that, you know, we could grow a lot of our own food and everything we're growing in our backyards. Um, that's one less thing that we're, uh, we're buying that's been grown in that way. And if enough of it, uh, happens then real change starts to happen. So I don't know that there's any one organization or anything. I would say, Oh, support them because I think that will make the difference. I just think we need to open our eyes to that and we need to say, okay, I want to start growing some of my own food. And I think if everybody did that, the, the, the difference it would make would just be unbelievable. Excellent. Well, that was really nicely put. So do you just have like a quick inspirational tip or quote to help motivate listeners to reach into the dirt and start their own garden? Well, get started for one thing. Oh, wow. It's just, you know, wake up, get started. I put off for so many years, uh, not doing anything because I didn't think I could do anything. I kept waiting until one day I would have that, that huge, uh, homestead. You know, I, I kept thinking, Oh, I want a big place. I want a place out in the country with tons of acre acreage so I can do the things I want to do. And in my mind, I was just always living for that one day, that one day, that one day. And when I got cancer and I had my wake up call, it's like, Hey, one day's here. One day is now. And I need to get started right where I'm at right now. And then what I figured out is, there's a lot of people and I've heard from a lot of people that use that one day excuse and they can do a lot of the things. They can't do everything. I'm not doing everything I want to do, uh, but they could do a lot of the things they want to do right there, 
right where they're at. And I just encourage people to get started and, and, and on to take it a step further for those who are, are doing it. Um, I guess David Holmgren, he's affected me in a lot of ways, you know, in his books, but he has a quote, uh, in there. He says, when we work with nature, instead of trying to impose our will, the solution is often found within the problem. And I think he takes that from, from Bill Molson. When Bill Molson talks about somebody who has a, a slug or snail issue on their property. And he says, you don't have a snail problem. You have a duck deficiency problem. So I think those two things are kind of tied together. In other words, the solution, you know, it can often be found in the problem. And, and I think that we, if we think like that, if we change our minds to think like that, we can solve a lot of the problems we're having. We can solve the problems in the garden. We can solve the problems in, in, in our lifestyle and our lives. We can solve a lot of world problems that way by looking for the solution within the problem in other words, finding the things that will fix those things that don't make uh, things worse, but but instead make them better. Um, and, and I just think there's a lot to that. And it, that's a deep, that's pretty deep, uh, you know, thing to be saying. It's hard to get your mind around all that and what that really means. But when you really think about it, it opens up a world of possibilities. Well, I was going to ask, does that mean like the ducks eat the slugs and the snakes? Yeah. A duck, duck deficiency problem? You need a Yeah, duck. yeah. That's what he said. He's, he's like, you don't have a snail problem. You have a duck deficiency, deficiency problem. Just get some ducks and then they'll feed the ducks. And now you've got duck meat. So you actually added something to your property instead of having to, you know, take some poison and just try to get away, get your snails gone. You know, and it's just this, it's a problem, you know, it's fixing the problem by looking at the problem and saying, okay, what's a solution to this that benefits me and doesn't hurt my property, doesn't hurt the planet, you know, and, and often we can find solutions in that way. Wow. Well, Harold, you've been just amazing guests. I know listeners are going to get tons of golden seeds out of this and you just shared lots of hands-on, just perfect action steps and knowledge and inspiration for sure, especially with your little tenth of a yard full of raised beds because like one of the big questions I get a lot is the same thing you were talking about. What do I do about bugs? How do I keep things out of my garden? And mm -hmm. I think uh, you answered a lot of those and I'm excited to try the salsa recipe because I put salsa on everything. Like I spend a fortune on salsa. I eat so yeah, much of it we just, love it. Uh, I haven't figured out a good recipe to make on my own. So maybe that's the key is the banana peppers. I have a, I don't have a complex palate. I'm pretty easy to satisfy, so I don't know that it's that great of a recipe, but I like it. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, tell listeners one more time how to connect with you and find your website and your podcast and everything and your well, Facebook web group. Sure. My website is uh, smalltownhomestead.com. We have a lot going on there. Uh, the podcast can be found there or just anywhere you listen to podcasts, wherever they listen to your podcast. Uh, Modern Homesteading Podcast is the title of the podcast. And uh, I think we're- and What do you talk about on there? Oh, just everything homesteading. I mean, it's a lot of gardening, but we talk a lot about animals and we talk about, we, you know, bring it in the kitchen sometimes. We're talking about, you know, things inside. I talk a lot about permaculture, whatever, anything that has to do with, uh, with homesteading. And, you know, that's a big topic. It, it goes way beyond gardening. It goes into a lot of other things, but have a lot of guests on, do a lot of, we, we do a lot of Q and a stuff. We do a lot of, um, I do a lot of solo shows where I just talk about a, a topic. Um, just, just, it's all over the place. It's kind of a variety show and just whatever I kind of feel like uh, talking about, you know, whenever, but I don't have near as many episodes as you do, even though we've probably been doing this about the same amount of time. You're just a lot more dedicated to it than I am, I guess. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's a pretty, uh, we're doing pretty good on numbers and get a lot of downloads and, uh, I'm pretty satisfied with it and folks seem to like it, you know, even though I kind of question what, what business do I have, uh, doing this podcast, but I guess I'm just a guy with a microphone. So <laughs> uh, I think you're being modest and humble there. I think you have a lot of knowledge to share out there and well, I, just share I think what you I'll have learn. a really good way of like connecting and synthesizing information and and taking good parts and, and putting together and, and kind of, uh, what do they call it, curating the content for people. So Well, I for sure have a lot of fun doing it, if nothing else. <laughs> well, give yourself a little more credit. I think you're adding a lot of value out there. So, Well, thanks for sharing with us on your day off here, Harold, and you have a great day. You too. Happy thanks Valentine's for having me. Happy Valentine's to you and Mary this week coming up. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. And thanks for reminding me so I don't forget. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so. Get your copy of the Organic Oasis Guidebook, helping you create an earth-friendly environment today. Available on Amazon for just $26.95. It's full of all the lessons from free organic garden course that Mike and I have put together to help you grow your very own organic oasis. Um, whether you just want a landscape or some deep beds, 
Uh, it's a perfect book. Um, it's got all the worksheets and everything to help you be successful and have a lovely organic oasis that you want to live in too. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.